I'm so happy you stopped turning your podcast dial and landed right here. You made it just in time. I was just getting ready to tell a story. I'm Robert Peterson. Welcome to Notorious Bakersfield. Are you ready to hear a Notorious Bakersfield story? Good. You're here. I'm here. Let's get started. Welcome to the second episode of the Notorious Bakersfield podcast. When I first conceived the idea of Notorious Bakersfield, I wanted to make it a weekly podcast, but I'm a one-man show. I'm the researcher, writer, host, producer, editor. I do it all. I decided a weekly podcast would be too much, and I settled on doing two a month. But now that I've gotten two episodes under my belt and I'm more adept at navigating the technology involved, I'm comfortable expanding Notorious Bakersfield to a weekly podcast. If this proves to be too much, I'll go back to twice a month. But for now, Notorious Bakersfield will be weekly. Look for a new episode every Tuesday. I want to take a few moments to answer some questions I've gotten about the first episode, Two Fairies. If you haven't listened to that episode, you should go back and listen to it now because there's some spoilers ahead. So this is your spoiler alert. So I invested a lot of time researching the Two Fairies episode, and even though I have no connection to them, I developed an unusual bond. They died 60 years before I was born. I only learned of their story about two months ago. I don't know anybody related to them. It was kind of an odd feeling to develop a connection to their lives and their deaths, but I did, and I felt compelled to go visit their final resting place at Forest Lawn Glendale. So a couple weeks ago, a friend and I visited Fairy Cornell and Fairy Gerace's graves to pay my respects and leave flowers for both. I posted those pictures on the Notorious Bakersfield Facebook page if you'd like to go see. Here's some questions people had after listening to the Two Fairies story. Why were they buried at Forest Lawn Glendale? This is pure speculation on my part. Here's my theory. Remember, Fairy Cornell's mother, Louisa Lowry, passed away the day before Fairy Cornell and Fairy Gerace were murdered. Fairy's father came directly from his wife's funeral to Bakersfield to claim his daughter and granddaughter's bodies. Louisa was buried at Forest Lawn Glendale. So that's my theory of why the two fairies are buried there. I don't know any more than that. The other question, uh, what happened to the four children who survived Fairy Cornell? Did their fathers take them? I don't know who took the children in. Uh, the fathers of fairy, um, the fathers of fairies' four surviving children were Laz Montoya and Odd Cornell. Laz Montoya died while Fairy was married to him, so that's impossible. And Odd Cornell went to prison. I really don't know um, what happened to them. And if you do, if you have some insight into this, um, please let me know. Contact me. Also, I got some fan mail. Here's here are two emails I received regarding the first episode. The first one. 
I just want to say that I really enjoyed your first podcast. I'm a lifelong Kern County resident and have thought about doing the same sort of thing, but just never pursued it. Your first podcast was awesome. Looking forward to hearing more of them. David. Thank you, David, for your kind words. And then the other uh, email. Hello, I just listened to episode one. So interesting. I was born, raised, and lived all my life in Bakersfield, less than one mile from the crime scene. I have never heard of this incident, and I've always been interested in true crime. I heard about your new podcast on the Facebook of Kern County of Old. I'm happy I came across it. I really look forward to your next episode. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Linda. Thank you so much, Linda, for that. Now that that's taken care of, let's jump into the subject of this episode. I've titled it Duncan and Mole. Anna Bertram Duncan was the daughter of two Kern County pioneering families. Her father was Millard A. Duncan, owner of M.A. Duncan and Company, a mercantile company that was located at 18th and I Street. Her mother, Emma Duncan, was the stepdaughter of Peter Weibel, whose offspring went on to become some of Bakersfield's most prominent civic, farming, and business leaders. Perhaps you've heard of Weibel Road. In 1931, Bertram was savagely murdered in broad daylight in front of her family's Oleander neighborhood home across the street from Beale Park. But I can't begin this story with her murder in 1931. We've got to go back over a decade and a half to October of 1916. Robert Stockton was a 50-year-old native of Illinois, but by 1916, he'd been living in Kern County for about 14 years and was working in the oil fields. It should be noted that Robert Stockton is not the same Robert Stockton who had been a Kern County supervisor and was in no way related to that Stockton family. Around January of 1916, Stockton became friends with Otto Brown and his live-in girlfriend, Bertie Harbert. Otto and Bertie weren't married, but they posed as husband and wife, and Bertie even went by Otto's last name of Brown. I want to read something that the Bakersfield Californian printed about Bertie that I found interesting. This is what they wrote. Bertie Brown is well known in police circles. On June 16th, she was taken into custody by officers and charged with vagrancy. Three days later, she entered a plea of guilty and paid a fine of $25. At the time, her two sisters, who are respectable girls employed in local stores, attempted to induce her to give up the life she was living, but she refused. With Beautiful big blue eyes and soft golden hair, the woman never fails to attract attention. She is 26 years of age, but could easily pass for a girl of 20. That description, as misogynistic as it is, should give you an indication of Birdie's reputation around Bakersfield in 1916. Needless to say, Robert Stockton thought Birdie was pretty hot. Well, how could you not? And for some reason, he believed this attraction was mutual. 
On the evening of October 2nd, 1916, Stockton went to visit Bertie at the house she shared with Otto on Kern Street in present-day Old Town Kern, not far from Baker Street. As Stockton was sitting on the back steps of the home visiting with Bertie, Otto walked out of the house. He asked Stockton what he was doing there, and Stockton replied that he was there for a date with Bertie. Well, this highly angered Otto, and he beat Stockton up, like beat him up really bad. Stockton took the hint, got away from the couple, and went back to his house. As the night wore on, and the more Stockton thought about it, and the more he drank, the more enraged the beaten man became. So he bought a gun and returned to the couple's home. But they weren't there. A neighbor told Stockton that Otto and Bertie went to the Imperial Saloon. Stockton fired two shots into the couple's home as he left. The Imperial Saloon was just a short distance away from Otto and Bertie's house on the corner of Baker and 21st Street. Back then, 21st Street was named Humboldt Street. Stockton walked into the saloon and thought he spotted Otto at the bar. He drew his gun and fired three shots. Only one bullet struck the man at the bar. The victim toppled onto the bar before falling to the ground. He died immediately. Stockton turned around and ran out of the saloon. A patrolman who had gone to Otto and Bertie's house to investigate the shots fired call was told by the neighbor that Stockton had gone to the Imperial Saloon. The patrolman arrived at the saloon just in time to hear the shooting inside and witness Stockton run out. The patrolman gave pursuit, but Stockton escaped down a nearby alley. The murderer was eventually arrested without putting up a fight near King Street. Once he was arrested, police took him back to the scene of the crime to show him the victim. Police did this back then. That's kind of weird. But to the murderer's shock, the dead man on the floor of the saloon was not Otto Brown, the intended victim. Well, Stockton broke down in tears and said he wanted to kill Otto Brown, the man who had beaten him up earlier that night. The dead man laying before him was not Otto Brown. The unfortunate victim was 25-year-old Leland Mole, a native of Curtin County whose family owned a ranch in Weedpatch. He was a popular employee of the Southern Pacific Railroad where he worked as a brakeman. He was survived by his wife, Eunice, and one-year-old son. Not only was Stockton in trouble with the law, so were the intended victim and his girlfriend. Otto Brown was charged and arrested for battery, and Bertie was charged and arrested for vagrancy because I guess it was because she was an unmarried woman living with a man she was having a relationship with. But the couple fixed that. On October 18th, just a couple of weeks after the murder of Leland Mole, Otto and Bertie tied the knot, and Bertie Harbert officially, finally, became Bertie Brown. Stockton's legal matters weren't so easy to resolve. In December of 1916, after hearing three days' worth of testimony, it took a jury five hours to conclude that Robert Stockton was guilty of the murder of Leland Mole. The jury recommended a life sentence of imprisonment. After spending almost 10 years incarcerated in San Quentin, Robert Stockton was paroled in 1927.
Anna Bertram Duncan lived in Bakersfield since 1899. I'm going to refer to her as Bertram from now. This is what her family and friends referred to her as. As I mentioned at the beginning, she was a member of two prominent Bakersfield families, the Weibels and Duncans. She never married. She wasn't a teacher, but she often filled in when teachers were sick. I suppose today we'd call her a substitute teacher. She was very popular in Bakersfield and was frequently mentioned in the town's newspaper's society columns. She hosted teas, celebrations, and holiday parties at her parents' Oleander home. She was a popular member of St. Paul's Episcopal Church and sang in the church's choir. During Bakersfield's hot summer months, she and her parents often stayed at Highland Lodge, the Weibel family's mountain retreat, in Posey in Tulare County. Bertram lived with her parents at their home that sat on the corner of Oleander Avenue and Dracena Street. This arrangement became mutually beneficial to both her and her parents when her father's health became, began deteriorating. After he passed away in 1927, Bertram continued living with her widowed and aging mother. Somehow, Bertram became acquainted with Robert Stockton. Yes, that Robert Stockton, who was out on parole for the 1916 murder of Leland Mole. It's not clear how this acquaintanceship came about. It was reported at the time that he was employed as a caretaker for the Weibel family's mountain retreat in Posey. But the Weibel family quickly disputed this claim. Late on the morning of April 30th, 1931, uh, Thursday, Bertram and her mother were in their front yard when they heard someone ranting and raving down the street. As they looked down Oleander Avenue toward California, they could see the person making the racket was Robert Stockton. Well, he was making a terrible, you know, scene as he approached the two women, and as bystanders watched on, Stockton pulled out a pocket knife and started assaulting Anna, slashing and stabbing her repeatedly. Her mother was also injured as she tried defending the daughter, but Bertram suffered the worst injuries of the two. Once Bertram fell to the ground, Stockton fled east across Bill Park, down Dracena, toward Chester Avenue. It took police about 15 minutes to locate the assailant on 7th Street between K and L. Before the mortally wounded woman was taken to the hospital, police officers brought her attacker back to the scene of the crime, like they did back then. Upon seeing her, Stockton asked, quote, Is she dead? I hope she dies. Unquote. Bertram was taken to the hospital where she was given life-saving blood transfusions. She succumbed to her injuries at 8.15 that night, April 30th, 1931. Anna Bertram Duncan was 45 years old. What was it that set off Robert Stockton? Why was he so angry at Bertram? At the May 13th hearing to determine if Robert Stockton was sane, testimony was given that the accused murderer claimed Bertram Duncan had published a notice in the Bakersfield Californian. According to Stockton, this notice caused citywide ridicule from both children and adults. 
Stockton claimed this notice was printed in the April 21st edition of the Bakersfield, California newspaper. Naturally, the first exhibit the district attorney provided the jury was the April 21st publication of the newspaper. And there was no story about Robert Stockton in the paper, not even a mention of his name. It took the jury about an hour and a half to determine that the accused murder was indeed insane. Robert Stockton died at the Mendocino State Asylum on April 21st, 1939. You can visit the Notorious Bakersfield social media page for pictures related to this story. Notorious Bakersfield is now listed on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to Notorious Bakersfield on your favorite podcast app. I welcome feedback. If, you have, if you'd like to contact me, my email is NotoriousBakersfield at gmail.com. There's no space between Notorious and Bakersfield. If you'd like to become a sponsor and advertise your business or service on Notorious Bakersfield podcast, email me at NotoriousBakersfield at gmail.com. Resources used for this episode, the Bakersfield Californian, the Bakersfield Morning Echo, Find a Grave, and Ancestry.com. Thank you for listening to Notorious Bakersfield. And now that I'm expanding, look for a new episode to drop next Tuesday. Have a good week. Mm-hmm.